0: dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Welcome to Pass the Mic. I'm Bo York, the executive producer for Pass the Mic, sitting here with your normal co- co-host, normal host, the host of the most, Jamar Tisby. The man with the extensive bio. The that's man with the, the extensive bio. I see this thing. I can't tell you. I wish the I The man, could.
1: the myth, the legend. It's missing. There's a hole. There's the a m- gap.
0: The myth, the legend. The two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself dr jamar tisby
1: and then you forget the, the jamar com. but part.
0: i thought you do that but now. don't worry no no he does that That's right. good. see this is what happened we went we went video first so now ryan is in charge of all of this and so i've lost i, I don't know anything anymore i'm 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 completely useless as i have always <laughs> been on this show <laughs> man we got something special today So, uh, well, Your idea. I'm
1: already, already going to place the blame wow. slash responsibility slash credit where it belongs.
0: That's great. I'm sure if we ever get, if, if we say anything remotely controversial, I'm sure people will remember that and I will be the one <laughs> to I'm sure that'll happen. Not at all. This is great. So, you know, uh, to commemorate the 10 year, we did kind of something special. Un- we, we did something special and then we kind of unintentionally did something even more special with reflecting on the 10 years, giving kind of an oral history of past the Mic and... Uh, to pull back even the curtains on that pull back the curtain episode, it was only supposed to be like maybe an hour, and then it ended <laughs> up being close to like four hours. Yes, <laughs> we like we had like dinner reservations twice throughout that kept on getting canceled. <laughs> it was it was a whole thing, and then by the end of it, we realized there were a lot of things we barely scratched the surface on, and so given the fact that after you know getting uh, the audio and realizing that you know to tell the story, we really need to kind of you know, pull out these moments from history to kind of go along with them. It's a, it's a heavy lift on the production side, but I think yeah. it's something really special. And why not revisit some of those moments that we, we really wish we had done then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Go a little deeper into some particular segments, which always going to shout out your incredible production and editing uh, on not the voice, the microphone the past the mic story. If you haven't listened to that five part series, you are missing out. And I, Don't want you to miss out. I care about you too much. I want you to make sure that you go back and listen to it. But you'll hear in that five-part series some very significant events, what we constantly refer to in that series as canon events. Yes. But there are other events that, you know, reach close to the level of canon events, very significant events, yeah. that we just didn't get to go into detail. And so here's one of the opportunities where we get to actually have an episode where we go a little bit more into detail on one of those things.
0: Well, so that's the thing. At the very tail end, you had reference we, we didn't talk about MLK 50. And uh, either you or I had kind of mentioned that as kind of one of the ones that we didn't get a chance to go into. And as I was putting together like the clips for all of these different things we never (laughs) didn't have time to talk about, I was reflecting, like, man, what a crazy era even that little microcosm of a couple of months was in terms Mm. of the history of the Civil Rights Movement. As months before MLK50, we'd had the two museums open up in Jackson, Mississippi. You and I were both present for it. We both had press passes. Uh, and First time. I, official yeah, press passes. It was uh, The entire event was unfortunately crashed by some guy who was running the country at a time.
2: In Jackson, Mississippi, President Trump took a private tour of the Civil Rights Museum that opened today. The president spoke to a small crowd that included family members of assassinated civil rights leader
0: Medgar Evers. It was very frustrating because they kicked me out of my studio. The the, uh, the special forces are the... Um, uh, what, secret service? The secret service kicked me out of my studio because we were in the block radius of the two museums opening up. Wow. And I had to... Well, <laughs> let, let, me, let me... I'll put it this way. My equipment was still in, in the building. Yeah, the equipment was there and the secret service regarding the building. And then I had it when I needed it. I guess I, I'll say that. End That's,
1: of story. End of yes. story. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but anyway, fast forward a couple months, we find ourselves in Memphis, Tennessee for MLK 50 commemorating... Uh, 50 years since Martin Luther King, of course, was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel. And this is an interesting moment in the history of the witness, of you and I personally, and kind of broader conversation in kind of our corner of Christendom, because this was not just a moment put on by the National Civil Rights Museum, not just a moment in which uh, the relatives of Martin Luther King came back to the site of his tragic death to remember their their father, their their uncle, their uh, grandfather, but also to those within our area of the evangelical space, it was an opportunity to do a, for lack of a better term, competing conference? Parallel event? Parallel events. Let's go with
1: yes. that. Yes. So uh, go back a little bit. It's really helpful and even sometimes surprising for me to remember all that was going on racially in the United States at that time. So you mentioned the opening of the two museums in Mississippi. And for those who aren't familiar, it's the Mississippi uh, Museum of History, but also the Civil Rights Museum. Mississippi Civil Rights Museum. Mississippi Civil Rights Museum, which is the first state-funded Civil Rights Museum in Mississippi, of all places.
0: And it's incredible. In Jackson, if you're ever
1: there, you absolutely need to go go check it out. It was really well done. And there was a lot of skepticism and question leading up to the opening of would they softball or whitewash the racist history of Mississippi? And they really didn't. They really are blunt and bold and honest about it in in the best of ways of historical truth-telling. But you mentioned um, there was sort of a cloud over the event because this civil rights museum, a lot of Black folks were looking at it as an opportunity, finally our story to be told in Mississippi. And then the then governor of Mississippi at the time, Phil Bryant, invited Donald Trump, then president. And and that caused an uproar to the extent that John Lewis, the congressman, pulled out of the event and several other folks I who were scheduled to speak pulled
2: out. And peace. Civil rights icon Congressman John Lewis and Mississippi Congressman Benny Thompson boycotted the event, saying in a joint statement, President Trump's attendance and his hurtful policies are an insult to the people portrayed in this civil rights museum.
3: So once again, Mr. President, We don't need you to tell us in Mississippi what a civil rights movement is about.
2: Jackson's mayor, Chokwe Lumumba, held a press conference with civil rights activists ahead of the president's arrival.
3: We're standing in accord with what the ideals of this civil rights movement means. And that is why we choose not to share a stage with Donald Trump.
1: And then it was almost it was sort of anticlimactic in the sense that Trump did come, but it was for a private tour and wasn't part of the grand opening events. So anyway, that was middle of December. And then four months later, we have MLK 50. So it's sort of in the air, this conversation about race, especially among Christians, in a way that is easy to forget how much conversation was going on at that time. And then the MLK50 event wasn't just about that particular day, April 4th. It was the months and months leading up to it yes. that people were thinking about it, talking about it, articles, all of this stuff. So it is a, a conversation topic in almost every circle of Christianity, of the national conversation. And here we are, at the sort of epicenter, because uh, Memphis is, of course, where King was assassinated, and the National Civil Rights Museum is built onto the Lorraine Motel. And if you have not been to the National Civil Rights Museum, put it on your list. Make a point mm, mm. to go. It is powerful. It is poignant. It is well done. It is informative. And it it concludes at MLK's hotel, motel room, which is preserved almost exactly as it was that day in 1968.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it really is such a, an incredible experience. You feel... And I think like intentionally, so like you are walking through history. Yes. Like the way in which, like, even at one point you're kind of carving and going right through the buses. You're actually going, there's a whole section of walls of telephones with the vocal piece cut out so that you pick up and you are forced to listen and not respond Mm -hmm. to people telling their stories with the archival audio there. And then like you just, it's, it feels like. A very visceral time travel experience, like you say, it brings you up to the moment of the assassination right. itself. Yeah, and so the the museum has been there for decades, and of course,
1: MLK's 50th anniversary of his assassination has been on their radar for years. Oh yeah. By the time 2018 comes around, yeah, this didn't sneak up on them. This didn't sneak <laughs> up on them. No, no, no. Nobody was in the staff meeting one day and was like. Oh no, do you know what's happening next year? Right. <laughs> it's like,
0: well, it's 2018, should we do something? I don't know.
1: <laughs> they and 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 I was on their like newsletter and so yeah. for years and years and years we're getting notifications about this save the dates, here's the next speaker who's been confirmed, here's the run of show and events and all of this stuff. And so we had planned on going. Uh, you have an affinity for Memphis. I love the way very you love so. cities. Yeah. Jackson, Memphis, uh, New Orleans, of course. Now Houston. I'm
0: finding my feet in Houston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Certainly on the culinary scene. Right. Uh, shout out! You've taken us to some great restaurants on Absolutely. our on our recording retreats. Anyway, so this is a very, very, very big deal. Not only for the Civil Rights Museum, but for the city of Memphis. Mm-hmm. And for anybody who's involved in sort of racial justice, racial advocacy work, this is the thing. This is the event and it's branded MLK 50. Yes. And then we hear tell about another event taking place same time, same city and get this same name.
0: Well, say You say we hear tell. Really, you hear tell specifically because you're reached out specifically as thoughts are starting to come together around this event.
1: Yes. So, uh, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, ERLC, which had then, at that point was headed up by uh, a guy named Russell Moore, um, was in the SBC, very well respected in, in evangelical circles. Uh, for the ERLC, I get this sense that it did kind of sneak up this anniversary from what i recall they do an annual conference and they had been planning on doing a conference but at some point um in 2017 maybe late 2016 uh don't quote me on the timeline but not like years and years in advance like the civil rights museum at some point they realized oh mlk's 50th anniversary of his assassination is coming up Uh, We should
2: commemorate that moment. We should speak to that moment. This year, Gospel Coalition and the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission are gathering a group of uh, gospel Christians, black, white, Hispanic, Asian-American, together to talk about what the situation looks like 50 years later in a country that is divided uh, by issues of racial injustice.
0: Why? What I'd, it- I'd be very curious to know the answer to that question. I can only speculate.
1: Um, I'll bet you there are some interviews where where Russell Moore is explaining that. Sure. But my sense is, because we were deeper in that world at that time, my sense is, like I said before, this conversation is pretty pervasive, uh, around race, right? Whether it was stuff Trump was doing, or the Unite the Right rally, or you know Black Lives Matter, anything of that nature, it had been coming up more and more in evangelical circles.
2: Well, I'm Russell Moore. I'm here with the NFL's Benjamin Watson, and we're going to be together uh, here in April at MLK 50. Uh, event. Benjamin, uh, why are you excited about our our time together coming up? Well, uh, number one, because you asked me to come. Uh, (laughs) But I'm excited because we're at a time, uh, I believe in our culture, we're at a
0: very pivotal point. Mm -hmm. And over the last several years, uh, race has been brought to the forefront in various ways. Do you think that, I mean, this is perhaps a dangerous speculation, but do you think that it does stem from the standpoint of not just race is a broad conversation, but it's specifically that the racial reconciliation movement of the past decade has brought us to a place that is clearly failing hard, and so we need to do something like in more of like a symbolic gesture yeah. as opposed to, uh, you know, what I mean. So I think a couple of things. One, Russell Moore, more than a lot of evangelical
1: leaders, has been paying attention to this sure. conversation. Yes. So I think he's genuinely committed to progressing in terms of racial reconciliation and and the conversation among evangelicals. So that's one factor. The other factor, I think, is there had been a sustained conversation and even pressure on evangelical organizations and institutions from the Gospel Coalition, which ended up co-hosting that parallel event with the ERLC, That's right. Yeah. to, uh, you know, different Christian podcasts and uh publications like Christianity Today or or you name it right so there had been when we we were part of that as as uh past the mic as the witness which we changed our name to in 2017 i think we were part of making that a more urgent conversation and and in those early days i would say from like 2014 up through around 2018 a lot of the conversation was black folks and our allies looking at prominent white Christian leaders and saying, are you going to say anything? Hmm. Like, are Hmm. you, are are you going to pay attention to this? Is this on your radar? Kind of a thing. So I wouldn't be surprised if in so many words, that was part of the motivation of if we're silent on MLK 50, or if we just do a little like social media post or something that doesn't, isn't very costly or, or take a lot of investment, then it could appear as if This isn't a priority, racial reconciliation.
0: I do, like, there is something about that that feels very, and this is not at all to diminish the moments or the significance of the moment. But from that vantage point, there is a very low-hanging fruit feel to it, if that makes sense. Absolutely, sure. Um, You know, it's the... uh, what was the bit, um, uh, Chris Rock's old bit about like, you know, oh, I, yeah, I take African-American studies. Just put MLK, you know, like Martin Luther King is the answer to everything. I
3: didn't know nothing in school. All I do was Martin Luther King. That's all I ever teach in school about Black people. Martin Luther King. That's my answer to everything. Martin Luther King. <laughs> What's the capital of Zaire? Martin Luther King. Uh, can you tell us the name of the woman that would not leave her seat on the bus? Ooh, that's hard. Are you sure it was a woman? <laughs>
0: so there is kind of like the okay this is this is like the bare minimum entry level sure i frosting on the cake so to speak yeah but it's also one of those things where if you didn't do it you know it's
1: very the silence Silence. would be definitely yes exactly so there's a lot to unpack here right like so how wait they but they reached out to you they reached out to me. Yes, yes, yes. Very important point. So uh, folks at ERLC reached out to me because they were forming an advisory board and they wanted me to be on the advisory board. I ended up not participating beyond a phone call or two because I really wanted to invest time and energy in the MLK 50 National Civil Rights Museum event, which I was not on the planning committee for, but we, I had, and, and eventually you and I had planned on going to and, and participating in. So that's where my focus was there. Mm-hmm. I was also a little miffed, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, A bit miffed that instead of partnering with or encouraging people to attend the National Civil Rights MLK 50 event. Um, Evangelicals decided to host their own event.
0: Why is the posture, we're going to do this our own, when there is something that already exists, which as many churches did during the movement, you could have said, how can we help? Or exactly. how can we support? Exactly. You tell us what you need from us. We have all of these resources. How can we support the event?
1: A hundred percent. That to me was the crux of the situation. It was case in point of how evangelicals often approach racial injustice is to say at the last minute or late, oh, there's a problem and we are the ones to do something about it instead of asking who's already doing something, who's already gained the expertise, the wisdom, the knowledge, and who can we come alongside or even behind and support? So, I'm not impugning the motives of the organizers, but to me, it was indicative of this white savior complex mm-hmm. of if there is a problem, then we are the best ones to solve it. Without doing much research. Without knowing the local landscape or context very well at all, right. and and I'm quite sure you know planners were aware of this. They got some local pastors involved in, in things of that nature, but it was still a parallel event, it, and and it still irks me. It's under the same name, mm-hmm. <laughs> MLK 50, and there was a subtitle to it of uh, they called it the to Gospel Reflections from the Mountain. That doesn't right? matter to Google. It doesn't right, <laughs> and, and so. So even branding wise, right now, you've got, like you said, accurately competing events. Because if I Google, you know, MLK 50, it's going to be one of those two. And I just think the National Civil Rights Museum earned the right to have a lock on that brand. And that day Yeah, they earned it. They earned it day in and day out over 20 plus years of providing historical educational content, of raising money, of hosting thousands upon thousands of visitors each year, and of planning their events for years and years and years in advance as a signature once in a lifetime commemoration of the person whose life much of the museum is centered around and for another organization, any organization, let alone an evangelical one, any organization to come in at sort of the last minute comparatively and pour enormous resources into hosting a parallel event with similar branding. I just think that's, I think it's disrespectful, honestly. Again, I'm not commenting on motives, but the way it was applied, the way it was enacted,
0: Ooh, it was tough to swallow. Yeah. So they reach out to you because they want you to be part of this advisory board. Right. And Which
1: they weren't inviting me to speak, by the way. <laughs> it was
0: help us think through this because... Well, hang on now. That changes everything. Had they invited you to speak? Is this a different uh, conversation? Well, no, it's just a different level of, I think,
1: how they viewed me or sure. how they weighed my voice. Sure, sure, sure. Um, maybe they would have eventually, but uh, no, I don't think they would have. Um, so <laughs> I say that because... They had reached out to me early in January in in 2017, and I had indicated I couldn't be on their advisory board, but they left me on the website.
0: Yeah, that's
1: interesting. For over a year, and it could have just been a like webmaster oversight. That's it not just it. could be anything, right?
0: Well, but that's not it. I've done that kind <laughs> of thing before, where like because I've been part of like Startup Energy and like that world, where it's like you need to like just put. Can, Oh, we had a conversation. Do you mind if we put you as an advisor? You slap the picture on the website. I get it. I get it. Equal level to like the guy that you really go to all the time. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. So who knows? But I know I was on there long after
1: I indicated I couldn't actually participate or wouldn't be participating. And so, um, you know, in that whole time, they never invited me to speak. Um, The input I gave was, uh, you know, there's this National Civil Rights Museum event going on that y'all can sort of come alongside Uh, But if you're going to do this event, then um, I'm looking at what you have planned and and who you're thinking about speaking. And it's like, there's not enough black folks Mm. and there's not enough local black people involved in this. You know, you're sort of parachuting in with your own folks. So anyway... um, all of that was going on. They wanted my input. I, 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 Which they did expand the roster. They did definitely expand the roster.
0: And you can look at it now. No. And and it's a lot of great speakers who I respect. Not to say, like a lot of the folks that did speak that we've got a lot of love and respect for. And even a, a lot, not all, a lot of what was said, um, still really powerful stuff.
1: Yes, absolutely. There were very powerful uh talks given by charlie dates micah Mm -hmm. edmondson christina edmondson you know there's there's a there's a list here of really informed people who i think added a lot of value and a lot of those talks are
0: even still talked about today yeah in those circles you know what i mean for good and for ill yeah
1: well (laughs) we'll we'll get to that we'll get to that
3: (laughs)
1: pass the mic. We appreciate you. Hey, folks, Dr. Jamar Tisby here, and I want to make sure that you know about the Justice Takes Sides brand. This is merchandise. This is apparel to help you represent your values. This is about getting people off the sidelines and into the struggle for justice that's ongoing today. Go visit Justicetakesides.com, get your merchandise and apparel there, and follow us on Instagram at Justice Sides.
0: You have these like two now parallel tracks. Cause you've got the, the, the events are happening. We go up to Memphis. We're with press passes with press. passes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just want to shout that <laughs> out. So and I think slightly, you did that. So shout out.
0: Well, you know, I, I think it was a, it was a team effort, but, um, but anyway, yeah, so we got that. We got the press press passes and um, we are now participating in that regard. Not yeah. as, not as people creating content, but as mm-hmm. people there to report and mm-hmm. experience and, and tell the story thereafter. We are rubbing shoulders with other people from oh, the media amazing uh, folks yeah, which is which was incredible. We're getting the opportunity to sit down and go to a lot of these panels with living legends like yes. literal living yes. legends who are telling their stories and one of the I think that for me anyway, one of the most powerful thing is that the spirit of this event, was about bringing together the old and the new, so to speak, mm-hmm, bringing together this mm-hmm. multi generational movement, connecting the civil rights movement of the past and the civil rights movement of the present together with a lot of like Thanksgiving dinner table level tension around mm. that. Yeah. Differing of opinions on the way in which things are done now versus then. The the sense of like reverence for what came before, but the desire to have seen more back then. The uh, the excitement for what's happening now, but the wish that there would be more focus like this, and that tension was palpable. It really was, as well as the respect. Yes, it was. It was. It was an amazing thing to be a part of, just to witness. Can I please
3: get you on your feet to welcome to the stage the great Congressman John Lewis and (laughs) remain.
2: We may have bits and pieces here and there and yonder. <laughs> I consider John one of my Congress people, <laughs> and a number of others. We have bits and pieces, but we do not have a political party. If we are to regain a political party that moves in the directions that the country was moving in, We, the people, are going to have to organize from a nonviolent perspective and create campaigns in city after city that helps to forge a a new party, a new Democratic Party maybe, that will do our will.
0: Dr. King wrote an essay when he was a
3: college student. When he was 19, uh, he wrote an essay for the Morehouse Campus newspaper on the purpose of education. And the essay says education is about intelligence plus character. And he talks about Governor uh, Talmadge of
0: Georgia and says he's very academically successful. He's even in Phi Beta Kappa, but he doesn't believe in my equality. He believes I'm inferior. So I'm not sure he's educated. right? And so what Dr. King was asking was, isn't part of education about conscience, about
2: developing moral conscience, um,
3: and why it is that persistent poverty is not getting solved, and that is not to say I disagree with anything that my colleagues have said. I agree with everything that my colleagues have said, and I'm going to see if this is as safe a space as I think it is, (laughs) Um, (laughs) because I'm going to say that one of the things that has been a surprise to the black middle class community is that abandoning the inner city didn't work for us right? Abandoning poor black middle underclass did not work. Okay. I've got, I'm egged
2: on now.
1: Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. So I just want to invite people to remember with us what that event was like. So number one, it was a who's who of like public intellectuals, racial justice folks, activists all over the board. So I met Roland S. Martin, the black journalist. I met Beverly Daniel Tatum, author of Why Are the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria. I met Bernice yeah, when King. My father,
2: when my father my mother uh, came back to Memphis
3: uh, 50 years ago on April the 8th, I was not able
2: to come. And so this is especially meaningful for me to be here uh, 50 years later uh, around this uh, commemoration. The yes.
1: youngest yeah. starter of uh, Martin Luther and Coretta Got Scott King. I Got the out. picture. Yeah. I met. Uh, well, we went to events with uh, Congressman John Lewis, yeah. with James Lawson, an activist. Um, uh, we met Bree Newsom,
0: personal hero. That was big. Yes, yes. Uh,
1: she she climbed the uh, flagpole in front of the state house in South Carolina and took down the flag. She's and,
0: a big inspiration for me with Red Flag.
1: Yeah. Oh, great point. Blockers, great yeah. point. She's, I still um, learn a lot from her to this day. And we actually got to do a brief interview with her. Yeah. One of the things that we are constantly having conversations about is like the usefulness of the term racial reconciliation. Pluses, minuses, what is your take on that term?
3: I think the, the issue reconciliation is not the problem, right? I think it's the, it's the unwillingness or the reluctance to also include justice. Mm-hmm. That's the issue. Mm-hmm. And I think, King spoke very much to that. He, he wasn't. He was calling for peace, but peace requires justice. There's no such thing as peace in the absence of justice. Like that kind of
0: peace is just order. You Which know what was I mean? like when, an when incredible was honor. She justice. was so gracious. So gracious. Yeah, like, had no. I, had never heard of us. I'm sure instantly treated us like we were family. Like it
1: was, it was incredible. She even said yes. Was amazing. Yes. So uh, shout out to to Brie Newsome Bass now. And one of the things that I loved about the event. Mm. Is that faith was infused throughout it. Yes. And effortlessly this so. Yes. We
0: remember
3: the man who had a faith like none other. And we celebrate his legacy by committing to answer the question that he posed where do we go from here? <laughs> I did
2: go to the back.
3: Like <laughs> 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 I'm still processing that. Um, <laughs> I went to the
2: Vatican to have a private meeting with the Pope, um, and I was actually very nervous uh, for a number of reasons, one of
3: which, I'm not the head of a nation. Um,
2: I'm not currently leading an active movement. So I asked the Lord, what meaneth thou this? (laughs) And I'm sure as time continues to unfold, it'll become clear uh, for me. ...in the very gift of life, and that we had to use the gift of life that's a precious gift from creation. We have to use that gift of life and exploit it on the noble sides of humanity.
1: It wasn't as if, okay, here's the part where we talk about religion. It was simply a result of the guests they had, the speakers they had, the fact that it was very black-centered. You cannot do an event commemorating MLK, the Reverend Uh Dr. MLK, or talk about the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, the core of which was the black church, without... A faith element. And what I appreciated about it was that it was organic. It wasn't programmed into it in some sort of artificial or stuck on way, nor was it apologetic as if, oh, you know, we 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 do have to mention, you know, yeah. Like how do we wrestle? Well, it was just very matter-of fact, right? Like it was, it was it, it was not a explicitly Christian event. And, you know, organizers and speakers had full knowledge that. Many people there wouldn't necessarily be religious at all, let alone Christian, but it just came out, and not in a forceful, proselytizing, shove-it-down-your-throat kind of way, but in natural, organic, you know, people would make reference to God, they would have a segment where they spoke, but they would open in prayer, and that wasn't necessarily on the agenda, Uh, they were singing, all of that stuff, so it was so interesting that there's this parallel event, which is billed as gospel reflections, right? Billed as explicitly Christian. And yet you could go to the National Civil Rights Museum event and feel as if hmm. you were immo- immersed in a sort of Christian event uh, with all the references and the way it informed um, the program.
0: Well, it's an event that is put on by many Christians as opposed to a Christian event. Yes, right? exactly, exactly. And So it sort of kind of, you know, so it, you know, as we kind of referenced before, when we showed up at this thing, as media there with kind of press passes for the witness for past the mic, which is a specifically Christian media outlet. You know what I mean? Like the fact that we were there and we could just kind of talk about it. We just be there. yeah. Very natural. Be us. Yeah. It was- with other people from, I don't know, MSNBC or, you know, from whatever blog is yes. and everything else. And there was no weirdness about, right. the, you know what I mean? Like That
1: was refreshing yeah. and kind of welcome as we were new to to being at an event in that capacity. Uh, the other thing I really appreciated about it was the topic of conversation, mm. which was a lot of different topics, but in general, it was not, should we do racial justice? <laughs> which is a conversation in a lot of uh-huh. Christian spaces. The conversation was, how do we do racial justice? Mm-hmm. And that's where you get to the intergenerational kind of back and forth about shortcomings of the movement 60 years ago, um, the ways the present movement has tried to correct the conversation about is there an overcorrection or is there enough informing of past generations to present generations. That was an incredibly isn't, isn't generative... Serious? solutions oriented and, and it was done in a spirit of let's move forward, let's find solutions, not combative, exactly. you were wrong, I'm right, kind of a thing.
0: Yeah. It felt like even even at the larger events, because there was the one that we went to that I'm thinking specifically where you had all of these icons from the past and present yeah. up on stage. And you know, there was this sense of active debate. Like, you know, it just it was amazing to me that we got a chance to be in this reflective moment, of which, to be honest, at that level, with that spotlight, with that level spotlight, there hasn't really been since.
1: That's right. That's right. Um, the closest I think I've come to it was the grand opening of the Equal Justice Initiative's uh, Lynching Memorial mm, and Museum. Yes. Yeah, Had yeah, a right. similar vibe to that on, on the grand opening. But it's rare; it's so rare, Uh, once every few years, if that. Right, and it was incredibly refreshing because us as an organization, the witness and pass the mic, we were really still in the thick of it in terms of coming to grips with um, having a place, having having felt like we didn't have a place in evangelical and reformed spaces figuring out what our space would be uh, figuring out our identity because the name change was only a few months old at that point.
0: So it's interesting. I remember so then Pastor Aaron James who was part of our team kind of made the analogy that he kind of saw us if Ran was kind of our infancy then those days in particular we were kind of in our adolescence we were kind of trying to determine our identity maybe sometimes that was like a little bit of like chest puffing out and you know and that sort of thing and maybe sometimes it was we might have like you know stumbled over some things and we were kind of finding our footing but for the most part it was this very like okay we have to make some decisive moves and like you know make some bold statements early on as we are declaring ourselves. Some might say justice takes (laughs) sides.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: So I say all that
1: to say it was an incredible event. Yes. It was very well done. It was extremely informative, creative, thought provoking, and it would have edified anybody who went there with an open mind. And I'm grateful that we did. It, It was it remains to this day one of the seminal events of my, you know, background in, in racial justice advocacy.
0: So that's the thing. We're there, we're having this amazing experience, but at the exact same time, literally down the street, literally down the main street, the, the other event is going on. And as was already been referenced, uh, some of the speakers are people that we greatly uh, respect a lot of great talks that to this day still have significant relevancy uh, for those, you know, inside evangelicalism.
3: King was known to listen to the spirituals for hours on end,
0: not just being
3: entertained, but listen, learning their theology, imbibing their hope. His legacy of redemptive suffering stands within this very old part of the black church tradition and cannot be understood properly apart from it. From King's redemptive suffering. When this chief tax collector made rich, not from the hard work of his hands, but from the manipulation of his own people. When he receives salvation, he makes a startling pronouncement. He actually says that he will give to the poor and restore those he has defrauded. The man who hurt and defrauded others is now the same man who can help those he victimized and pilfered. We can learn much from Zacchaeus about the kind of evidence that should mark the lives of people who walk with God. He recognizes that he has defrauded people and that the poor need the help of the wealthy. And I must admit, as I prepare to leave the stage, I'm taken by Zacchaeus' honesty and his desire to restore what he took. But I must also admit that this gathering today has got to do more than apologize. We've heard apologies. We appreciate the Southern Baptist Convention apologizing in 1995 for its participation in and compliance with slavery and segregation. We appreciate that apology for its absence in the civil rights movement, but what I want to propose to you as I lead today is we need to move from apology to strategy. The same groups of people that hurt entire generations through segregation are the same groups of people that can now end segregation. We can fix the problems that we've created. An apology is nice, but it's time to strategize to figure
0: out how we can But then you also had other moments that kind of undermined the entire event it as a whole.
2: In his early 20s, Martin Luther King turned away from these great objective biblical realities. And you can read about it with sadness in many of his papers in those days. And I don't know if he came home.
0: Many believe he did. Michael but it's very notable that this is, is happening in a bubble and, and that we're not there because we're invited to a dinner with a lot of the speakers because obviously there's a oh, lot the of the event. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, there's one point in the evening you and I are getting dinner at a restaurant. And it's past the mic listeners. Do you remember this? I do. Yeah. And they come in and they're like, oh, me. And you're the white guy right <laughs> but like you know it's interesting because they they assumed that you were actually part of the, the ERLC event. Event. Oh, yeah, yeah, which
1: would be a natural assumption i'm sure at that point um but yeah, we that was we we met uh, Beth Moore for the first time. That's right. Um, we we interacted with some PTM listeners. We connected with some Man, longtime friends. You
0: pulled up a picture from uh, the dinner that we had, and it's so interesting looking at this kind of who's who picture. Plus me, and I'm like, <laughs> and I have been like the oddball out in a lot of different scenarios. I'm not, I'm not, you know, afraid of being that guy. But it is always interesting. Like, oh, what a historic image. If I wasn't at No,
1: I'm grateful. I'm <laughs> grateful that you were there. Um, so I think it was a missed opportunity to really come alongside um, local organizations right. committed to the work right. and get exposure to some new voices. Because as amazing as a lot of the speakers were at the ERLC TGC event, in a sense, it was a usual suspects it was region. folks yeah it was folks in those circles you would have heard of and you would have been excited to hear speak um but it wasn't new voices and it and they weren't voices informed by different streams and traditions in the activist uh you know circle
0: okay so i'm going to this is the part where i'm going to place the devil, devil's advocate okay because there's there's a couple of different angles to slice this and one is exactly that let's let's start off with that right because the the reality is Is that from what we got to experience with this like deep level inside, you know, family conversation, closed, like closed door conversation happening on a large scale. Right. So we, we got to experience that with MLK 50, perhaps not the best conversation for people who are still trying to dip their toes and test the waters to see if they're actually going to be involved in anything even resembling racial justice or equity building, right? Like that's so having an event that speaks to the moment for those folks who probably wouldn't have shown up for MOK 50 in the first place, even if the same organization was fueling it or supporting it, provided the platform for a lot of these conversations that might not have happened otherwise.
1: Valid point. Valid point. Uh, from the news reports after the event, 4,000 people showed up to the EL- ERLC event. That is not an insignificant number. That's not an insignificant impact on the local economy, hotels, restaurants, things like that. So there is an argument to be made that, well, you know, most of these folks wouldn't have shown up at all had there not been an event put on by these organizations. Um, I get that. Yeah, I get that. And and there's also within that sort of uh, angle, the idea that maybe we need 101 level events.
0: Hmm, That's interesting.
1: Yeah. And the National Civil Rights Museum would be like a 301. You know, it is a, for folks a little bit further on. It certainly wasn't geared, the, the National Civil Rights Museum events weren't geared for people who were just entering the racial justice conversation. No, it was already assuming you're sort of Not only on board, but you have a bit of background knowledge, uh, so that the speaker lineup there, you knew who these folks were and their significance, and the topics that they were addressing, you could sort of follow along. Which I am very not confident that a largely evangelical audience would have been able to latch on to. But at the same time, (laughs) why are you still at the one on (laughs) one level? Like at this point, you know, different places. We're We're at different places. But here's the other way I like to think about it is, were there alternatives to holding a parallel event? Mm. So, for instance, if you encourage folks to attend the National Civil Rights Museum events, and they were broadcasting it online, so even if you couldn't physically go, tuning in, and then having a post-event that's truly reflections, hmm. but reflections on the National Civil Rights Museum event. And then you can bring in your speakers, you can bring in your panelists, you can uh, listen to questions from the audience and from people submitting online. And you're truly reflecting and helping people process an event that evangelicals didn't plan, didn't uh, control or anything like that. But you're encouraging folks to get out of their silo, especially on topics like racial justice, where honestly, evangelicals don't have a real healthy in-shape silo, to begin with, hmm. it's not super great to be in that silo, but encouraging people to get out and then, and then, okay, come back. Let's process this as the church. Yeah. Let's process this knowing our history and our patterns of not addressing this really well and, and deal with that, right? And that's just one scenario. We can think of half a dozen other scenarios if we had enough time, right? Hmm. And, and to say that, we could have accomplished similar goals a different way that w- maybe not even wouldn't have taken away from the National Civil Rights Museum event, but would have added to it.
0: Well, and there's also something to be said for if we're still at the one-on-one level at that point, maybe one-time 101 level event isn't the best thing that's needed. That's but right. But more of like an ongoing... Effort, which, I mean, many uh, people represented certainly, re- you know, do in their, their own in, work. In for their sure. individual. And- but, at, but with that level of commitment, resources ongoing, I don't know. I mean- well,
1: you know, and, and just to be fair, the ERLC TGC event, they uh, contributed $16,000 to a local pastor's fund. right. And they it's a scholarship right? Yeah, there was they they gathered over a million and a half dollars for uh, I think it was local scholarships um, for Christian colleges and institutions people in the Memphis area. Okay, okay. So uh, they were trying they were they were at least cognizant of let's not just dip in, extract, and leave.
0: I think I misremembered how that scholarship was applied. Well, <laughs> it, I-
1: you know, look it up. But yeah, <laughs> they they I I do believe there was a a, a, a local flair to it.
0: Well that's good. That's a because yeah. I, I, I thought it was a denominational flair which
1: it was the MLK fifty Dream Forward Scholarship Initiative that will allow Christian colleges and seminaries to invest in the educational future of minority students. Okay. So yeah, that sounds more broad. Okay. Um, but yeah, education and but I remember my critique of such initiatives. Are you sending black students especially into the very institutions that are creating unhelpful narratives around race and justice yeah. to be trained in that. Yeah. Instead, if you're going to give a scholarship, let it be no strings attached, go wherever you want. And maybe you be going to say, Oh, well, it's got to be faith-based or something of that nature, but it doesn't have to be our, you know, SBC seminary or something like that. So
0: anyway. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's, that's one devil's advocate question. Our approach. The other is maybe a little bit more selfish, uh, if I can put it like that. And that's that even today, you look up, you you do a Google search for MLK50. What do you find? You find the organization that was actually founded on that day at that event that uh, continues to do work. You also find uh, the ERLC's uh, events. This, like, you look down, you see, like, boom, 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 almost like two here, two here, two here, two here, like, all throughout. But where's the witness? Where 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 is where is the the work that we did? Where's the podcast episodes? Where's the the content that we created? It's not that we didn't create it because we definitely did, but what was the long tail value of us making the choice to do the MLK fifty as opposed to the ERLC's MLK fifty tagline TBD? I feel like
1: uh, I feel like I'm channeling Tyler Burns in this. Just <laughs> I think he'd had some strong opinions on it. Um, yes, definitely. But, but my thinking is, is a few things. One, wouldn't it be even more powerful if there was no MLK 50 ERLC and MLK 50 National Civil Rights Museum? And it was just the National Civil Rights Museum. Yeah, of course. MLK 50. Right. So that's a missed opportunity or a... Uh, elbowing in on the branding that dilutes the um, long tail of the National Civil Rights Museum event, right? So should should there even be those two? But you're asking, why aren't there three? Essentially,
0: not necessarily even that. It's really more of like what what was gained or what was the point? You know what I mean? Okay. Like in, in yep. a long time, like yep. it, in the moment, it was very clear what the point was. Yep. But looking back now. Was it just a drop in in the bucket? Like, was there actually any impact in making the decision we made?
1: So a few things. One, number one... You know, the witness in terms of the algorithm has never shown up high on the radar (laughs) of anything anywhere, whether it's past the mic and rankings on like iTunes or Google searches or whatever. Right. Like and and partially partially we can say the same thing of what if white evangelical organizations had come alongside the witness Mm. in a no strings attached kind of way to maximize our impact. Mm. So that's one thing. But the other thing is integrity. So I think for us especially at that adolescent period of our identity as the witness it was super important for us to draw a line and say are we truly committed to being black centered? Hmm. Because this is one where we could be platformed. We could have been, you know, press passes. We could have been uh journalists on the scene. More likely we could have been speakers, me and Tyler, right? Absolutely. Like, yes. And that would have been incredible exposure because in addition to the 4,000 people who showed up for the event, mm. there were thousands online who accessed day of and thousands more who accessed after the fact, right? So in terms of like name recognition, exposure, brand, that would have been an incredible boost for in terms of profile yeah. for us. But in terms of identity, I think it would have harmed us. It would have confused us. And so if nothing else came out of it, we, as the witness and as past the mic, were able to stand on business, as the young folks say today. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but <laughs> it sounded good in the moment. Uh, if nothing else came out of it, for us as the witness and past the mic, it formed our identity in crucial ways because it demonstrated our genuine commitment to being both Christian and Black, at the same time, and committing our time, our talent, our resources to an event that better embodied that for us. And we resisted the temptation to compromise, I would have called it, and exchange platform and recognition for an event that wasn't really true to who we wanted to be and who we were becoming at the time. Yeah, there it is. Lessons.
0: Let, let, I was about to say lessons and legacy yeah. from
1: all of this. Um, white evangelicals who are concerned about race. Yay. Thank you. I'm glad. Welcome. But you don't always have to be the one to provide the solution. Matter of fact, probably more often than not, I'm certain more often than not, it's going to be more helpful to provide resources and support for stuff that's already happening. This is the philosophy behind the Witness Foundation. We want to empower the next generation of Black Christian leaders to do racial justice. So, instead of forming your own, you know, mentorship, your own internship, your own scholarship, donate to the Witness Foundation because we're already Black-centered and Christian. We already have the social networks, the ecclesiastical networks to access these folks. We already have a track record of talking about this, moving toward racial justice in these ways. And your resources, which is primarily money. I'm not afraid to say we need money, right? but also in kind donations, whether you have, you know, marketing or social media or video or audio experts is actually, no we're covered work. on the audio well, and yeah. the video, but we can use more support. <laughs> um, you know, all of that stuff, there's other ways to support that's just not monetary. It could be skills. It could be making connections and introductions and things of that nature. Yeah. So I just want, if, if, if for, for for white Christians who are listening, I want your reflex to be, how can I come alongside and support something that's already happening mm-hmm. versus how can I start something new and my own thing that, that will not have the, the the wisdom and experience that these other ones do? And I'm saying they can't, couldn't be good at some point. But there are already other folks and organizations doing it well. So for Black Christians and our allies, there are going to be some choices, Mm -hmm. some particular crossroads where we have to decide, are we genuinely committed to centering the marginalized? Are we genuinely committed to amplifying the voices that have historically been silenced or muted? Mm -hmm. And are we willing to pass up an opportunity at greater platform, greater riches, greater recognition in order to do that. And it's at those critical moments that not only is your commitment and character tested, but it actually builds your commitment and character for the long haul. So I'm grateful that we did it uh, as, as an organization because I think we, we may not even be having the same conversations today if at those critical junctures we had to make those choices.
0: That's good, man. Well, there you go. It's a little behind the mic from MLK50. As uh, the rain comes down around us, so you may have, uh, you know, may have heard throughout the, the course of this episode as the rain and the lightning and the thunder has come down. It's been a, a storm outside, but I think we are very much at peace from the decisions made. How about that? That was a Jamar very, Tisby right there. Very smooth. like <laughs> it. But that's going to do it for us. Uh, if, uh, if you would, please consider becoming a patron of the show, uh, patreon.com slash pass the mic. So until next time, we'll see you soon on the next Pass the Mic.